Welcome to In Search of Peace and Healing. I'm your host, Celia Boone. So hello again. It's been a long while. I had a left hip replacement and that was a very easy surgery. For some reason, the recovery period um, happened quickly and um, I felt pretty good. Um, And, uh, you know, recovering from surgery is not easy But I've had a lot of surgeries, and so compared to some of the ones I've had, it really wasn't that bad to recover. But while I was recovering, I had to sleep on the couch. Our house has high ceilings and long stairways to get up to the second story of our house, and all the bedrooms are upstairs. So... Uh, For a few weeks, I slept on the sofa down in our family room. And my loving, wonderful husband was taking such good care of me. And we don't like to sleep apart, so he sat on the other end of the sofa, put his feet on the ottoman, and slept sitting up for a few weeks with me while I was unable to yet get up the stairs to the bedroom. Well, he wasn't feeling really good at all. When I had my surgery, he had a cold, or what he thought was a cold, and just really felt terrible. I ended up, you know, saying, go home, get in bed, rest, relax, take Zycam. But one thing that happened after sleeping on the couch with me was all of a sudden one day his feet, ankles, and legs were swollen. It just kind of really happened quickly. And that was pretty alarming. So he started taking some water pills to help, you know, help his kidneys work. And um, he still kept having increased water retention swelling. And I was urging him to go to the doctor, and he would not go. He hadn't been to the doctor for 10 years and saw no reason to start then. And we talked a little bit about why he wasn't wanting to go to the doctor. And he was afraid that if he did go to the doctor, they'd find all kinds of things wrong with him, and therefore he'd rather just not go. Now, I do have permission to tell a bit of his story here. He's given me permission, and um, he also has a podcast, and he's talked about it quite a bit with his podcast. So, I had friends, lots and lots of friends. Lots of people were praying for him, and people that we don't know. There's a whole group of Catholics up in Pennsylvania praying for him. You know, people who work with my brother up there, there are were people all over the country praying for Ken. A couple of friends, dear friends, close, you know, family member type 
friends called and were like, Ken, you have to go to the doctor. And um, our friend Beth finally picked up the phone and called. She had seen him at a nonprofit board meeting and was terribly concerned. And she called him, you have to go to the doctor. You know, you look terrible. You have to go to the doctor. So, I mean, because I was already, like, crying, begging him to go. And um, so he agreed that he would go, and I finally got him to go to the emergency room. Now, he was thinking that he was going to walk out of there with a couple prescriptions or something. Um, But they took one look at him and said, we're going to admit you from here. You're going to go by ambulance, and we're going to admit you to the hospital. So... He was admitted to the hospital. We we spent the whole day, really, at the ER. And he was admitted to the hospital with acute kidney injury and heart failure. His blood pressure had been uncontrolled for probably the whole 10 years, or nearly so. He had moved down from Rochester to the Charlotte area and didn't go back to, you know, he was getting medical care up there and didn't go to a doctor here. Now he was in the hospital and it was very shocking because he was not in good condition. So they talked to him a lot. They're like, we've got to get your blood pressure down. We have to try to get your kidneys to work without damaging them further to drain this fluid out of you. We need to do some run some tests on your heart because there was one blood test they did that indicates the size of his heart, and his heart was greatly enlarged. And because it was so enlarged, it was messing with the electrical impulses in his heart, so he was having some abnormal beats, some that could be dangerous. And um, so anyway, um, they did an echo scan of his heart. And usually a normal heart will squeeze out 55 to 65% of the blood in the heart at every time it pumps. While Ken's heart was only squeezing out 10 to 15% of the blood in his heart. So his heart was very, very weak. So we knew that this was extremely serious. Once Ken got into the hospital, he looked at me and he said, I want you to know I'm all in. I'm going to do what the doctors tell me. What they said was, you have to totally change your life, man. No salt. Keep your sodium to 1,500 milligrams a day or less. And... For somebody who was used to ordering fried chicken from the deli and this kind of stuff, that was a big, huge lifestyle change. They're like, you need to shop the edges of the supermarket. Get yourself a George Foreman grill and an air fryer, and you can still eat things that taste good, but just get lean meats that have low sodium in them and cook them in the grill or the air fryer. So um, when he was in the emergency room that day, they gave him Lasix and an IV and he was not, um, it was, his kidneys just weren't producing urine very much at all. 
the kidneys were, they were injured from the high, high blood pressure that he had. So he's in the hospital. He was in the hospital for about five days. He had a cardiologist seeing him there, you know, different kinds of doctors. And before he was discharged from the hospital, they sent somebody in to who wanted to sell us basically a vest that Ken could wear and should his heart, you know, stop or throw off these bad rhythms or whatever, the vest would shock him and um, then it would release a blue dye. And at that point, if he wakes up lying in, lying in the floor and there's blue dye on him, he's supposed to call 911. So the sales rep came in, you know, wearing scrubs. So she kind of looked like a nurse, but then, you know, she didn't have a badge on. But down on the pocket of her scrubs was a corporate logo for the company that makes these vests and sells them or rents them out or whatever. I don't know. So she came in and we're like, okay, what does the vest cost? And she wouldn't tell us. Now, Ken is from New York. And if somebody's like trying to sell you something and they won't tell you how much it costs, his New York skepticism was on high alert. So he was like, no, I'm not going to get it. And um, I was pretty scared. I was real. I was terrified. And, um, you know, she said, can you come up with $500? Well, we had $500. We had some savings. And so we had that, but she wouldn't tell us how much it cost. And it's like, Ken was like, I'm not getting the vest. I'm not doing it. Doctors for years have kept, you know, heart patients alive, giving them Lasix and this and that. You know, my dad was a physician and Ken said, your dad kept his patients alive with Lasix and other medication and I'm not going to get the vest. It's a scam. <laughs> so he came home from the hospital and saw a, car a different cardiologist who really has helped him. Boy, I was cooking meat for the first time in my life. I'm vegetarian, and holy cow. So, but I was doing it. I was on a walker. My right hip was hurting me tremendously. A couple weeks after Ken left the hospital, I went and saw for my three-month appointment on my with the hip surgeon, and he was getting ready to retire at the end of the year, and I said, since my first hip surgery went so well, can I get you to do my right one before you leave? And he said, sure. So a couple days before Thanksgiving, I had my right hip replaced as well. It did not go nearly so well with the right one as with the left one. I fell the night of surgery, and um, apparently I was blacking out because my blood pressure was bottoming out every time I sat up or stood. So anyway, and then my hip, in, my hip incision didn't heal, and I ended up getting an infection. And so in January, I had to go back to surgery, 
And with the new surgeon, because my other surgeon retired and moved away, I had to go back and get another, have another surgery. The good news is that the incision is now healed and I am okay. And I can walk for the first time in years without a walker. And I'm at the point now where I do sometimes use a cane just to help me with my balance because I'd been out using a walker for a couple of years, but I'm able to walk. And that is a very wonderful, wonderful thing. I'm able to walk without pain in my hips. So that is something for which I am extremely grateful. I'm going to talk some about what's happened and I'm also going to talk about living with struggle. I mean, this wasn't just a few weeks or whatever. This was month after month after month. Lots of one day at a timing in those, in those months. But um, let's take a break now. I'm going to grab some water and we'll be right back. We invite you to visit our website, muchmoretosay.weebly.com. That's much more the number two say.weebly.com. To begin this segment of our episode, I'd like to begin with a quote from Frederick Douglass. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. On the toughest day for me when Ken was in the hospital, the day that he was railing about the vest and was not willing to get it, and I was really scared, and I really wanted him to get it. I left his hospital room crying, and um, I went over to um, the church where I go a lot, and um, they have a women's meeting that I go to on Thursdays, and um, I went to the women's meeting on the way there, I was just praying and I was like, okay, Lord, I can't control what he does or thinks or, you know, this is up to him. And it just, something came back to me and just was echoing in my mind. God is the life giver. God is the life giver. That vest doesn't have life giving force. That's God's job. And if Ken's work on earth isn't done yet, God has a whole lot he can say and do to interrupt Ken's illness and to make sure that he stays alive and healthy enough to do what God has for him to do. God is the life giver. So by the time I got to the meeting, I still was crying some, you know, um, when I feel like I need to cry and I'm surrounded by girlfriends who are hugging me, um, it makes me cry. I just, I can't hold it. So I cried. Some of them cried. Lots of hugs. We sat down. We had our meeting. And, um, you know, I just... I just told them what, what came to mind in my car when I was praying. God is the life giver. God is the life giver. So, you know, it just, it made it okay for me. 
that right there, just God made it okay for me to not be afraid and not be, not have an obsession with the fear that Ken's heart was going to stop. Now, there were times when he'd be sleeping at night and he'd stop breathing for a minute or for a few seconds. It might have seemed like a minute or whatever. And I would be like, okay, are you going to breathe again? Sometimes I kind of shake his arm or something and that didn't seem to help him wake up and breathe or whatever. But, you know, after, I don't know, probably a minute or so, he would start breathing again. And... um I just kept saying, as an affirmation, God is the life giver. But I still, you know, if he quit breathing and I was awake, I would look at him or, you know, touch his arm or something. So Ken saw a cardiologist a new one shortly after he left the hospital. And um, we both really liked the new guy. And um, he changed some of Ken's medication, and he told Ken that he would like to see him lose 20 pounds of fluid, that it was very important for Ken to follow the recommendations for, you know, low sodium, you know, healthy eating, you know, when he could start getting some exercise, start walking, because at this point, he was very short of breath, just climbing the stairs, and he would be very winded and have to lie down. But the the doctor gave him, you know, some more medicine to help the kidneys work and help the heart function better. And so all those prayers from all those people worked. God has blessed Ken with divine healing. His cardiologist at his January appointment said he'd never had a patient like Ken who has recovered this well. His kidneys are functioning very well, better than they did before he went to the hospital and before he started swelling up. His blood pressure is down for the first time in years to normal limits. His heart size, which was... The um, the number was 4,790. 4, normal is 100 or below. Is back. His heart is back to normal size. The amount of blood his heart squeezes out, which was 10 to 15% in September, was 35 to 40% the first of the year. Praise the Lord. I mean... I don't know that Ken had really fully experienced a divine healing miracle to that was that pronounced in his life, but he knows that he has been healed by God. And as the as he continues taking the medicine, we expect that his heart will continue to heal. So I mentioned earlier on this episode that when I had my second hip surgery, I fell that night after surgery. Um, there was a PT tap, physical therapy or physical torturer, whatever you call them. Um, but this tech wanted me to get up out of bed and was very insistent because I told her I didn't think that I could. Also, we didn't know that my hemoglobin was 6.2, which is about half of normal. 
And what happened was I sat up on the edge of the bed. She put my walker there and I tried to stand up and my blood pressure bottomed out. I passed out and ended up on my knees, which could have been absolutely disastrous for my new hip that was just put in that day. So she wanted me, she's like, get up, get up. And I'm like, I can't, I can't get up. They ended up calling the rapid response team to make sure that I was okay. And they lifted me back up into bed. And um, I was completely freaked out by this. Um, I guess they called the doctor, but nobody from his team came to see me or whatever. The next morning, you know, he rolls in and I was like, I fell last night. Yeah, I heard. And he just looked at my incision and left real quick. And I was like, what? He didn't order an x-ray? Oh, my goodness. What? 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 So I actually didn't get an x-ray of my new hip until two and a half weeks after surgery. I fully believe that my guardian angel's wings were underneath my knees because I just sank down slowly and I didn't get bruises on my knees. My knees weren't hurting. My right thigh did do some swelling in the next several days. And it turns out I was bleeding inside my thigh. But I tell you what, when the doctor saw that x-ray, he's like, you know, it's really remarkable that your hip wasn't, you know, it's still in perfect alignment after you took that fall. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. But that was definitely another miracle. Definitely another miracle. How did we get through this? People have been asking me some, you know, now that Ken and I have recovered. You know, how did you get through all this struggle? Boy, we've watched you just go through it. Sometimes it's one day at a time. Sometimes it's 10 minutes at a time. But, you know, I just, I just kept praying. I kept in touch with people who love me and support me and who would help me keep as positive of a mindset as possible. People who reminded me, this too will pass. You know, my one of my favorite lines of scripture goes like this, and it came to pass. The Bible's full of it. And it came to pass. This too will pass. Maybe like a kidney stone, but it will pass. So by the time I left the hospital, Ken was had recovered sufficiently to take care of me, bring me my soup and this and that, you know, upstairs. I was able to go right up the stairs the day that I, the night that I had my surgery because it was an outpatient procedure. You know, the surgeon had put in a wound vac and another drain. He took out a big clot. I had infection too, so he cut this. I call it a knot of infection. He just cut that out of my leg. Um, they had already tested to make sure the infection didn't go down into my new hip. It didn't. So I hung out at the doctor's office once or twice a week for a few weeks. 
And then they pronounced me that I I was healed and graduated, and that was a really happy day. Um, I had to use a walker until February 25th, and now I'm walking, just walking. Um, sometimes I use a, a cane for balance, but really, truly, being able to ditch the walker is a wonderful feeling. I don't have the crushing pain that I had. I can shake my booty. I am still kind of weak. I get tired, you know, when I walk through a grocery store or something. You know, it tires me out. I'm still working on getting my hemoglobin higher, and and my muscles in my legs are weak because I haven't been able to exercise in a couple years. And I'm looking forward to the pool, looking forward to improving my balance and my leg strength because I am a water warrior. The pool opens May the 1st, and um, I plan to get in it and start immediately working on my strength and endurance and all those things, and I just love jogging in the water. The pool is my happy place when the sun is out. It's where I do a lot of praying. I feel the closest to God amazingly enough, in the swimming pool where it's me and the sky is right there. And so while I exercise, if there's no one else there, I'm praying and singing and just really being close to God, communing with God. That's another thing that got me through. You know, I would just pray, give me strength for today. Show me what you want me to do. I tried to be helpful as I could, but I tell you what, after I fell in the hospital, I just wasn't, I was so freaked out, I wasn't able to be helpful. But I didn't scream at people and, you know, throw things at them. I didn't fling poop. <laughs> so I guess one can say, that, you know, there's something to be said about if you can't help, just don't hurt. So I didn't hurt anybody. If you never experience struggle, you don't gain strength. You know, you can't have a comeback unless you have a setback first. That's actually a quote from Mr. T that Ken told me about. I think that's pretty cool. There's a quote from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who um, wrote some books on death and dying um, many years ago. And um, I found this quote from her. The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of those depths. Now, you know, lots of things could have happened and had really bad outcomes. And I'm very, very delighted and, and grateful that my precious husband is still with me and has been healed so miraculously. I'm very, very grateful that I am able to walk now, and God is continuing to heal me. And I'm gonna, we know we're gonna be able to pick up our ministry, our ministry of music, hope, and encouragement that we kind of had to put on the shelf for a couple years. But I'm very excited that we're going to be able to 
help people in those ways again. And now Ken has a story to tell as well about God working miracles for him. And so we wouldn't have that experience, strength, and hope without the struggle and without the fear and without the processes that we went through. But I still go back to one day at a time. You know, I can do something for one day that I can't imagine doing for a lifetime. And this too will pass. And it came to pass. So thank you for listening and take gentle care of yourselves. We invite you to visit our website, muchmoretosay.weebly.com. That's much more the number two, say.weebly.com. This has been a production of the Descant MMG Podcast Network.